afternoon. You've got Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, I'm so happy to have Kat Warren joining us from Durham, North Carolina. Kat, um, can you hear us? <laughs> I can. Thank you very much. T. Loud and clear. Oh, great, great. Well, th- thanks so much for joining us via phone. Um, and you were, you did come through town, Kat, uh, back in March with the paperback release of your book, What the Dog Knows, Scent, Science, and the Amazing Ways Dogs Perceive the World. Um, but I missed you then, so I'm glad we're, we're getting a chance for the phone. That's great. Yeah, no, what a nice little town, too. I'd never been there, and it was like, ah, this is the Ann Arbor I've always heard about from all my friends, about what a great little community it is. We'll, we'll come back anytime, and I'm sure Literati would be happy to have you, too, and come see the station. Yes. <laughs> Next trip. Okay. Okay. So, well, before we go any further, I'm going to read the short bio from the back of your book. Kat Warren is a professor at North Carolina State University, where she teaches science journalism and creative nonfiction. She is also a cadaver dog handler. She lives with her husband, David, and her dogs in in Durham, North Carolina. For more information, visit catwarren.com. So, Kat, how many people are like, well, Kat, you wrote a book about dogs. (laughs) <laughs> I've heard it a few times, and then to make it even worse, I'm allergic to cats. So. Oh, oh me, <laughs> me too. Bonding moment, cat. Yeah, it's so unfair. I really like cats. <laughs> Um, well, anyway, before we go any further, I'd also like to thank Tex for engineering today and to do a shout out um, to Ian and Tash, who are visiting from Hong Kong en route to Tasmania, and to Chloe, who's here from Kalamazoo, and all of you listening out there in Ann Arbor and beyond. Um, maybe people are listening in North Carolina, too, right, Kat? <laughs> That's the hope. <laughs> That's the hope. Well, Kat, what's what happened? Like, how did this book start? Um, because it seems like um, you met one of the loves of your life, and that might have been part of it. And I think that really was that was the start of the book. That was why the book. And um, you know, it didn't it didn't begin well. You know, there's a saying that if a story goes on long enough, it's sure to end badly. Well, this is one of those stories that started really badly. That my husband and I had a a, a pup that came into our lives who was a singleton. Um, he was a German Shepherd, and I was expecting a kind of sweet, smart quiet dog who would lie under my desk when I was working and um, Solo kind of roared into our lives and he being the only pup in his litter ended up being dog aggressive which is a really common thing that happens with single pups. They don't get that interaction that the litter gives them where they, you know, learn how to 
fight and play nicely together. And so I had a pup that was just flunking out of puppy obedience classes, and um, I was um, kind of miserable and took him to a trainer whom I knew from about a decade earlier and asked her what I could possibly do with him. And was this Nancy? And that's how this book started. And was this Nancy, Cat? This was Nancy. This is Nancy Hook, who um, I, I still see regularly, and she's, um, she's in um, Zebulon, North Carolina, and she's done about every kind of dog training you can think of. And I, I, I took Solo to her when she was about when Solo was about four and a half months old and said, Nancy, help. And she is the one who suggested that I train him to be a scent detection dog. And had you ever heard of this before? Like, I think maybe rescue dogs, we sort of have a, yeah, an idea I had about it. search and rescue. I had never heard of what she suggested that he become, which is a cadaver dog, a dog who finds the missing who are dead, rather than with search and rescue, you're going out to hopefully find people alive, right? That's the whole point. But there's also this whole sort of um, cadre of dogs that are specifically trained to help find um, people who um, are deceased. And how, um, how did you, I don't know if this is the right expression, but how did you warm up to the idea, Kat? Because when you heard about it, because it might be. You know, it's, it's, it's a very nicely, delicately put question. And it's odd that to me, um, you know, I grew up in the country. My father was a fisheries and wildlife biologist. Um, I, the idea of doing this didn't sort of inherently gross me out. And right. also, I had been a newspaper reporter uh, prior to becoming an academic, and and I had covered cops and courts and um, the whole idea of doing this work didn't either frighten me or make me, um, I don't know, think of horror movies. Instead, to me, it was sort of like, that's intriguing. Yes. And and I like how in, in the, as you're, you're starting to tell us the story in the book, Kat, you say um, that Solo, he could, this was a way that he could work and be part of something. You both could be, but he didn't have to be sort of a, a team player because sometimes in some of these other avenues of search and rescue, you're, the dogs are more together. Whereas this is a, is that correct? More individual um, in some ways? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's really it's it's interesting that when cadaver dogs are working, they're actually working very often in kind of separate sectors. So they're clearing areas, and then an, another dog might come in and, and clear the same area. But in a way, um, I mean, it's important that you ultimately have a dog that's not going to jump on and attack every dog it sees, and solo. Learned. I mean, that was part of the joy of teaching him this nose work is that it gave him a real outlet and a real way to concentrate um, instead of thinking, um, 
either that dog's going to attack me or I want to attack that other dog, right? Right. So um, give 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 a person with a problem a job and say go do that, and it really it's a it's a great outlet. And the same was true for Solo is is that it gave him a place to put his his brains and his energy and his good nose. And that's and that's the thing with all working dogs, isn't it? They really they need a job. They need something some something to fill their mind space and their their energy. And I, yeah, and I, and I think that's so true. And I don't think that you know. I mean, in terms of giving a dog a job, quote unquote, you know. I think there's so many things that you can do with dogs that help fulfill you and the dog, right? There are ways that you can work together. There's a whole sport now called um, canine nose work. Oh. Um, Yeah, that basically works sort of like agility or obedience, right? They're Mm -hmm. competitions, and, and the dogs go out, and they're not finding drugs or bodies, um, but then again, what they're doing is they're using their nose to find something they're trained to find. And in this case, for this sport, um, they use stuff like um, uh, car- the smell of carnations, right? And, you know, and they'll hide a Q-tip with a little carnation essence on it, and, and the dogs, it's a competition, right? And it's a great outlet for dogs that um, lack confidence or may, you know, have a lot of energy they need to run off. That is, that's so. That's actually. I feel like you've just done a pub, public service announcement too. It's like a, a new thing love, that people. I mean, I a new love watching. For... I do love watching dogs do nose work. And to tell you the truth, this this entire area is kind of burgeoning. And part of the reason it is is that you know, for some people, being in the obedience ring. Um, for a dog just puts them face to face with other dogs. It doesn't build their confidence or agility. Dogs are sort of getting hyped up and running past each other and um, that can cause problems. But for this particular sport, um, you know, the dogs again work separately and, but they really get to use their brains and noses. Um, so yeah, I love it. And so, so Kat with, with, um, I feel like maybe we could talk a little bit about how long did it take you to f- when you because you had Solo from when he was was it nine weeks or how old was yeah he he was we got him when he was about nine weeks old and and when he was four and a half months old was when I took him to Nancy and then um, I started training him to do this and um, you know it was the first time I had done something like this and so you know it was very new to me. And so it took some time, but when he was about a year and a half old, I was really fortunate to um, get hooked up with the canine sergeant of our local police department who invited me to come train with their canine unit because they didn't have a cadaver dog. And he said, you know, just, you know, come on down. And, uh, you know, quite literally, it was the beginning of a really lovely relationship with him where um, I still train with him, and he's taught me so, so much. And this is Mike? Um, Cat. He's retired now, is... but retirement just means that he's training more dogs than ever. <laughs> so, that, Yeah, this and this is Mike, is it, Kat? Yeah, Mike Baker, yes. It, it's, it, um, I'm struck in your book by the sense of the national community, like the trainers, the handlers. Yeah, it is. It is um, 
know what happens when you start something that becomes a very serious new hobby and I call it a hobby because that really I you know I don't do it as a living Um, I'm very serious about it but you know when you are learning a new skill and it just opens up a world of people that you didn't know about right and opens up a community of people that um in this case, that I ended up falling in love with a lot of them. Not all of them. I mean, you know, it's not a perfect world. Uh, it's got all the competitions and petty jealousies of um, academia or newspapers or anywhere else I've been. But it also has um, a, a people who have these skills that continue to fascinate me of working with animals. It seems like there's a purpose, and it's almost as if the people who you describe here have a drive, like the dogs have. (laughs) I think they have to. (laughs) You know, I mean, these are people who have both a ton of drive and then um, also a ton of patience because, oh my God, you know, good trainers are working not only with a lot of difficult dogs, they're working with a lot of difficult people teaching them how to work with their dogs. And um, I, I think about, you know, they're, they're teachers, right? That's right. what they do. Um, and But it's, it's sort of fascinating to watch how they can take a very young handler and a very young dog and help them learn how to work together and bring out the best in both. And I love in the book how you say, because there is a time when as Solo gets older that you start thinking, because this is tough work, um, that, well, maybe, you know, now you love it, you know, like jumping ahead in the book a bit and the story is that this is something that you love to do. And so you, but you say to Mike, I'm going to, I'm not going to make the same, same mistakes. And he sort of chuckled a little bit. Yeah, because, you know, um, you do, you think, uh, you know, you're learning a ton, and then you realize, you know, and I realize in retrospect that Solo was so resilient and so forgiving of all my oh. screw-ups. Um, and, you know, and then I was, you know, swearing to Mike that the next time I trained a dog, I would not do all the th- horrible things that I had done with Solo that Solo forgave me for, (laughs) that I'd learned so much, you know, and now, of course, I know that you make new mistakes every time. And in in the book, because I just flipped to it, Kat, you have, um, Mike shook his head, he knew better. If I had every dog in front of me that I'd ever worked with, I'd apologize to each of them. (laughs) <laughs> and this is an expert, right? Yeah, this I is mean, a do- this is it, yeah. But of course, he's still so much more skilled at well, this <laughs> than I am or 90% of the world is. So it's like when he says that it's like, "Oh my god, I'm lost." <laughs> <laughs> well, cat, I didn't even know what a cadaver dog was until I picked up your book. So there there you go. You're your head and shoulders there. Um, we'll take a short break and then we'll be back um, to talk more. Um, today, Cat Warren joins us from Durham, North Carolina. Her book, What the Dog Knows, sent science and the amazing ways dogs perceive the world. I'm T. Hutzel. You've got Living Writers. We'll be right back.
way too much sunshine around here back. You've got Living Writers. I'm Dee Hetzel. And if you just are tuning in, I'm glad you did. Um, today on the program, program, Kat Warren is here. And Kat, thanks for picking the songs for today's show. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs> I love Loudon Wainwright. And I love that song. And for some reason, that's one of my road songs. Yes. I've got the dogs smelling like wet dogs in the back. <laughs> and uh, it's just, you know, from the time I lived in California, I just... Um, it's one of those songs. I know every word to it. <laughs> oh, and, you know, I have not heard it before, and I was just laughing at the smell of wet dog. I was like, oh, that's perfect. Um, yeah, so thanks. Thanks, Kat. And now we can picture that it's one of your road trip songs. And you're on the road a lot um, with this hobby of yours <laughs> or your you know, this passion I, you of know, yours. I, I, I was, you know, solo retired, and so there's been a little bit of a hiatus in in some of the travels but of course with the book i'm traveling again so um yeah there, there was a lot of road time and even with training now i still uh, i'm i'm on the road a fair amount and well cat let's let's talk cuz this is so you this what the dog knows is your first book um but you've been writing like as you mentioned in the first quarter um you were a newspaper reporter um how how did um how did that influence do you think like your your way of um approaching this this book did it because i know you also you teach um science journalism and creative nonfiction um but how what are the connections there you know i think the connections are that I loved being a reporter um i was a reporter for about a decade and probably would have still been in it if we, you know, if it hadn't started to, uh, as we all know, sadly, go downhill. Um, And um, so many of my friends are out of work these days, wonderful, wonderful journalists. But I think that the, uh, you know, the, the positive side of that was that that habit of being curious about worlds, right, and being skeptical about things. And also, I mean, this book is about 20 or 25% memoir, but it is about 75% just reporting because when I started doing this work, all these questions started occurring to me. So I not only wanted to capture Solo in this book because that was really important to me because he's an amazing dog, but I also wanted to start to answer some of the questions that had occurred to me, like, you know, how good are dogs' noses really, and what do we really know, and what's the research show, and then, and then 
who are the great people out there that I can um, uh, be a succubus <laughs> and learn from at the same time that I'm writing this book by going out and sort of doing the research. So I think that all of my newspaper reporting background sort of came in at the point where I thought, I want to write a book, but um, I'm not the most interesting thing I can think to write about. There are all these interesting people out there. And, and by that point, because it was several years into your training with Solo, because you didn't want to write the book at first, anything about this, because you wanted to keep it separate. Is is that right? Yeah, because, you know, I mean, I think that we, we all have this tendency as writers, right, that you, you're out there, you're experiencing something, and you immediately want to um, put those thoughts onto paper somehow um, or onto a blog. You want to start to articulate it. And I was actually feeling almost superstitious about how much I was enjoying not writing about it, right. that just experiencing it, right? Yeah. Um, and so there really was this moment, um, a kind of turning point where I was doing it I'd been doing it for enough time that I felt like I felt more confident that I wouldn't ruin it by writing about it, number one. Um, and number two, that I felt like I had something to say. Um, you know, because for several years I was just so in learning mode. Mm. Um, so I think that there was that, and then Solo turned, it really, literally, he turned. He was about six years old, and I realized um, dogs don't live forever, and I really actually did want to capture him. And the memories, and so that you, you had it. Yeah, yeah, because, you know, I have a very bad memory, and <laughs> um, you do forget. I mean, yeah. you kind of, um, stuff happens, and, and um you think, was it that, or was it that search, or was it the search before, the search after? So it was, um, so there was this moment of thinking, uh, I, I want to remember what happened here. And and it's it's interesting, Kat, how then, I don't know, because you, you use Solo's story and your story with Solo, and David's um, a, a big part of it, and Megan, the Irish setter, um, and and your and your your story, right? Your lives in this this span of time. Um, you you lose your dad during this this time as well, yeah. um, and so. But but this is the the structure then that really the that the book that holds the book. And then it seems like you have these questions then that you are able to take us with you to pursue this this habit of curiosity. Yeah, and you know, I mean, um, thank you for sort of noting that. I did, uh, you know, I think that it's true that the sort of the, the spine of the book is learning how to do this work with Solo. And inevitably and sadly and sometimes wonderfully is that Things happen in our lives, and I think that one of the major things was, of course, losing my father um, early on in Solo's training. Um, happily, um, you know, my husband and um, my marriage was also so part of this at this, you know, at the same time, and then, and it allowed me, and I think that. 
it, it allowed me to go out and adventure, right? And even with the book, right, of saying, okay, there's, you know, here's this central thread of solo and me learning and solo teaching me and living through this, but then using it to look at the much broader world and feel like I could always come back to that anchor of what what I was learning with Solo himself, right? But that I could go out and look at other dogs and other people and kind of the history of this work and um, um, even what we know about the history of death and dogs, right, going back to primitive, primitive times. And so it does, it, so Kat, it does feel like the book, there's a point where it feels like the book is moving towards some of those those facts and some of the history as like a coping way um, of of moving through some of the gr- grief, perhaps, because you mentioned that the, the book is, um, you know, 75% reporting. And part of that, I think, is the, the, the history, but also, like, what is the community like? What is it like to work with these working dogs? And, and then the memoir, um, in that 25% that you mentioned, it's, it feels like you have this um, ability to make yourself uh, vulnerable on the page. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, it, it felt sometimes that that was really hard um, to do and do it um, do it without pretending, but also without um, taking too much space to do it, if that makes sense. Um, and I will say that it, it is true that um, being able to write a bit about my father and um, and the sadness of that and sometimes the sadness of certain kinds of searches um, helped me think through um, what we were doing. Mm. Yes, because I think something that you write about, as you say, you learn not to say to a family, you'll have closure. Yeah. You know, I and I learn this more and more and more and more. I mean, when when people aren't found, it, it there just can't be resolution. And I realize, for instance, there are the you know these two teenagers lost off Florida, you know these two kids who went out in the boat, and you know that's several weeks ago. And I know that the families are still out there searching and um, trying to, trying to find them. And as long as they don't have them. They don't have resolution. It, it's it's a bit like this airplane that went down, the Malaysian airplane, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. you know, in a piece of what they think is, you know, most likely the plane washing up on Ile de la Réunion. And, but people still going, wait a second, that's just a piece of the plane, right? Mm-hmm. So I you do learn that... Um, that there's no such thing as closure. Um. And and Kat, it seems like, so you mentioned Florida. So when you're, because uh, in the, the book you describe how when you and Solo were starting, you would, 
be you had started watching the evening news, you know, and saying, oh, now I'm watching the top of the news. Whereas before I used to be say, why does it always have to start out with, you know, the terrible things? And then you found yourself sort of listening and and kind of wondering if if they were going to call. Um, like, I, I mean, law enforcement to ask because because you're a volunteer. This is this right. is as we're talking about this, maybe to make that clear. Um, what's that like to be a volunteer? in this and maybe well, earning I the mean, trust. It's really, I mean, it's an interesting thing. And as I, I think I said to the, you know, right now I'm uh, in a hiatus where um, working with a couple of dogs, training them to get them ready to go out again and, and working with other people and, you know, watching them go out and have searches where, you know, they help recover somebody. And I think that, um, it does make you think differently um, about about law enforcement, about about missing people, about it. It makes it very, very concrete. Um, and I and you know, as a volunteer, it wasn't a given that I would be called for any particular search. Um, and as a matter of fact, I didn't. You know. I didn't go out frequently, frequently, uh, solo, pro- and I probably went out seven or eight times a year, even though we trained constantly. But it certainly mm-hmm. made me hyper aware of um, what was happening out there in the world. And you, you, it almost changed when you looked at the landscape, for example, like if you're driving down the road, you would see it differently. Um, because of the information that you start gathering and learning for the next time you do go out with, would have gone out with solo. Yeah, I do. And I, 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 I do look at it differently. And um, I still do. Partly, uh, partly because one of the ways you need to think about it is, is that you always want to be sort of ready and you want to think about the different kinds of searches you might do and you you know you look at various kinds of terrain and you start to think now how would I how would I get down that bank with the dog right yeah. it's a very it's a very oddly practical kind of thing that happens being in the world if i were to search this area how would i do that and where would i start and how could I make me safe and the dog safe, right, and yet get the job done? And I think that all of those things become um, um, become ways of looking at the world. I mean, I don't look at the world and go, oh, my God, this is a dangerous place and people disappear every day, because that's not quite true either. But it is a world where you look at it and you think, um, Stuff happens, and um, and this is a landscape that um, I've grown to both love and to also kind of know that it can be a very very difficult kind of place to search in. Um, North North Carolina is kind of like a rainforest, much of it. <laughs> yes. It's got everything, doesn't it? The the swampiness of it, the rivers, the mountains. 
yeah, the ocean. Cat, we're going to take a short break, and then then we'll we'll be right back to talk some more. Um, today on the program, Cat Warren joins us via phone from Durham, North Carolina. What the dog knows, scent, science, and the amazing ways dogs perceive the world. I'm T Hetzel. We'll be right back. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Kat Warren joins us via phone um, from Durham, North Carolina. We've got text behind the glass and Stephanie, too. Um, Kat, thanks again for picking the songs for today's program. Oh, I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, T. Oh, it's so great to talk with you. It's it's really great. And, um, you know, and you mentioned before we went on air that there was a bit of a chainsaw uh, event happening outside your your house there. <laughs> and and I, I can tell you that I think you are a trooper because I can I do hear a bit of a buzz sometimes. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I hope you are doing yeah, okay. No, no, I'd no. Like I'm to be able to control my environment a little better than I actually can. Uh, who can do that? No <laughs> one can do that. a big old oak tree in our neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Kat, you've got the, the old oak tree is... is is going and um, at, at at our house we've had yellow jackets so there's also been a different oh, no. kind of buzzing so anyway it seems to be <laughs> um, it's it's in, in in the air I guess but um, that's the song um, was actually making me quite sad as I was uh, listening to the her voice the 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 plaintive voice and um, and I was just thinking that um, one of the things that we we. I wanted to to ask you and um was how how solo um is doing because he is he's uh, I know he retired um and um and and before we went on the air you told me that that he had passed away in April and and I'm I'm so sorry um yeah yeah we were we were a, a little bit shocked um because he was I mean, the the upside is is that he was a really healthy dog until about four weeks before he died, and he got a he got a kind of um, cancer, blood cancer that's um, kind of common in German Shepherds and Golden Retrievers and a few other breeds. And I have to say, though, that um, 
right up until about the day before he died, he was still going after his ball in the yard, and we had so we had a, a, some weeks with him that were were lovely. Um, but David and I were just, um, um, oh, as you can imagine, just sort of devastated because um, I had retired him just the year before, and we. I don't know. We were smug. You always think, oh, this dog's going to live forever, or, or certainly to the age of thirteen, right? And well, and he's like, so oh, fit. So low. Yes. Darn you. <laughs> yeah. But he was a he was a great he was a great great dog. Um, like one of the quotes that you have in here, the um, uh, from Dean Spanley, Peter O'Toole as as Fisk Senior. I had a dog once, Wag, one of the seven great dogs. At any one time, you know, there are only seven. Did you know that? <laughs> you know, that's such an odd little movie. <laughs> I was so in love with that movie. It's it's um, and I of course love um Peter O'Toole, but um. I doubt that Dean Spanley ever went into um, major theaters or anything, but it's an absolutely beautiful, beautiful story. And it um, act- and actually, it made my day to see that quote. And of course, um, so so everyone, when you when you go and you get a chance to. Um see the book yourselves Um, you use images that start out each of the chapters as well and then you have a quote um, from from you know across many different sources this one the film but this picture is lovely because it's when Solo is meeting the puppy that we meet at the towards the end of the book Coda right little Coda who's over in the house right now Um, I we just took her for a long romp um to get her yayas out, as we say, um, yes, and and we never anticipated. I mean, we, you know, David and I. Okay, me mostly because I agonize more than David does. But I was really worried about bringing another dog into the house, um, and we thought a lot about how to do that. And um, and um, it 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 was kind of wonderful to see how solo welcomed Coda into our lives. Um, you know, he became a very good dog by the end. <laughs> and it is sort of this this wonderful um, transition or this something that there's uh, something that happens, Kat, from the beginning when you actually, um, Solo's name was going to be Coda and then you realized he wasn't, his, he was something completely, entirely, you know, he was Solo. And then, and you didn't, you sort of were sort of, what is this puppy doing? He's kind of madcap. And, um, and then by the time we get towards the end of the book and you are thinking of, of finding another puppy, that's what you're looking for is you're like, which is the puppy that's going to be the one that has this, this drive, this, this madcap quality. Right, right. That the the thing that we were trying to escape and that frustrated <laughs> us so much was solo and, and now it becomes something that I absolutely value in dogs, which is that that drive, that brattiness, that unwillingness to quit, that stubborn pain in the butt quality that um uh most people would go what you really? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah, that's what we're looking for. The kind of dog you don't want to live with, that's what we want to live with. <laughs> well, because you know that that's a quality that you can't you can't teach that, but with a dog you know that you can 
work with them and they can be become a dog that you can live with. <laughs> At least this is what right. your book shows us. I don't think you're leading That's us astray. Hope. Yeah. <laughs> um, for, but for working you know, dogs. I mean, yeah. I, Coda, Coda is such her own little beast. And um, it's it's so interesting um, because you you want to both get this nature and nurture and put it together to have this perfect package. But, you know, life never cooperates that way. And I'm not sure that Coda wants to be a cadaver dog nearly as much as Solo wanted to be a cadaver dog. Um, so, so what do you what do, you do then? Um, I'm working with other stuff with her. Mm-hmm. And she can make come along. It's actually, you know, she's got a great nose. Um, she's she just she has a tendency, and I know that dogs don't have opposable fingers to do this, but if you've ever seen a dog flip a paw at somebody, um, <laughs> she's she will sort of go. I don't think I'm into this today. <laughs> so and she's rolling her eyes and yeah. Uh huh. Actually. <laughs> huh. So so this is so this is interesting because then. Because Solo was that was that was something that fit him, and I guess we learned that in the book. And so now you have to sort of find the thing that might fit the two of you because it is a new relationship. And I think you right. talk about second dog syndrome or so something, or I don't know if you say syndrome. I think I made it more melodramatic. It no, then, you but didn't. oh, I did. You have it exactly right. Yeah, no, it's second dog syndrome. And, um, yes, and we have it in spades with Coda. It's really, it's very funny um, and, um, and and interesting and frustrating of, of going, you know, um, and, and dogs are not people. Dogs are not children. But if you have the same kind of analogy, you know, of a parent who wants their child to be a brain ch- surgeon and the child says, you know, actually, I'd rather, you know, um, act in a Shakespeare company, <laughs> right? And you right. go, wait a second, I have plans for you. <laughs> right. But then hopefully everyone's ready to go to the stage. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and and so you, you also were saying just before we started, um, Kat, that you've got a new member of the family. Yeah, yeah. And I asked my, I asked David the other day whether it was just insane because we're going to start school in like a week and a half. And don't say and, it. Don't um, say it. Pretend. We like just got a, <laughs> we just got a uh, eighteen month old German Shepherd male. His name is Jaco, oh. and he is um, he is an intense, intense dog, and. Um, and he's very, I think he, he is going to be very lovely, and I think that he's going to make a fantastic search dog if I can keep up with him. Um, he's a dog that, like Solo, has a ton, ton of drive and um, thinks that he kind of comes out of the house raring to go and going, what's that, what's that, you've moved that. Oh, that looks like a person out there at the end of the driveway. Maybe I should. <laughs> I'm going. Oh my god! <laughs> so you've got to get him in the 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 training then. Yes, he has to have um, he has to have uh, foundational training. He's got to have more obedience. He has what he has is all of those 
drives that I talk about in the book, those that sort of that genetic propensity to um, uh, just want to roar out of the starting gate, right? So he's got those energies, and he's also got that already, even within two weeks, kind of looking at you saying, what's the game? Tell me the game. I want to know what the game is, <laughs> right? And um, And that's exactly what you want. You want a dog that's both doing that and then saying, you know what, I'm going to leave you and go across this field to find the thing I'm looking for because I know that that's part of the game and I don't mind being away from you as long as it takes to, you know, solve this problem and then I'm going to come back and I'm going to grab my toy from you (laughs) (laughs) because I've done a good job. That, That sounds like a beautiful thing. It is a beautiful thing. I love, I love watching dogs that both, and it's not, look, I've only had him for two weeks, and, you know, I don't know if I'll ever have another dog like Solo. Um, dogs like that can really be sort of once in a lifetime. But what I know is that, that when you see a handler and a dog that have that relationship, that where they work together but separately, mm-hmm. um, it's it's kind of a wondrous thing, you know. I mean, we see this with with border collies that that herd sheep, right? You know, and they're like way gone up the hill. You know, the yeah. sheep herders at the bottom, and the dog is going. Wait a second, I think there's a <laughs> sheep off there that I'm gonna. I'll be back in two minutes. Right, right. Oh, well, Kat, let's take a short break and we'll be right back. Um, today on Living Writers, Kat Warren joins us from Durham, North, North Carolina. Her book, What the Dog Knows, Scent, Science, and the Amazing Ways Dogs Perceive the World. I'm T. Hetzel. We'll be right back. Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Kat Warren is on the program today, joining us via phone from Durham, North Carolina. Kat's book is What the Dog Knows, Scent, Science, and the Amazing Ways Dogs Perceive the World. Um, now out in paper uh, with Touchstone, Simon & Schuster. Um, Kat, thanks again for just calling in and um, being game for a conversation. Um, yeah, it's been great today. Oh, it's my real pleasure. Thank you for having me. It, it it occurs to me that I've been enjoying the conversation so much that we we haven't. Would you mind reading a little bit from what the dog knows? 
Um, oh, would sure. that be a- and, yeah, and, and I know that our, our conversation has kind of ping, ping-ponged over a, a lot of areas, and so um, maybe I'll just read a page or so from the introduction that um, kind of sets the tone a little bit, if that's okay. Perfect. Okay. I've grown more comfortable working with the dead, with parts of them, really, a few teeth, a vertebra, a piece of carpet that lay underneath a body. One of my German Shepherd's standard training materials is dirt harvested from sites where decomposing bodies rested. Crack open a mason jar filled with that dirt, and all I smell is North Carolina woods, musky darkness with a hint of mildewed alder leaves. Solo smells the departed. Solo is a cadaver dog. I occasionally get a call asking for our services when someone is missing and most likely dead. People have asked me if Solo gets depressed when he finds someone dead. No. Solo's work and his fun begins with someone's ending. Nothing makes him happier than a romp in a swamp looking for someone who's been missing for a while. For him, human death is a big game. To win, all he has to do is smell it, get as close as he can to it, tell me about it, and then get his reward, playing tug-of-war with a rope toy. I never thought death could have an upside. I certainly never expected a dog to point that out to me. Since I started training and working with Solo eight years ago, he's opened a new world to me. Sure, some of it is dark, but gradations of light filter through so much of it that I find it illuminates other spaces in my life. Thank you, Kat. Thanks for reading that. That was that was a, a wonderful way to 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 frame what we have been talking about. Um, hearing that again, um, now having finished the book and and speaking with you, it's interesting to see where the threads are starting already within those opening lines. Um, this is, can you could you talk uh, a bit about. Um, like what maybe what you like about creative nonfiction, because we have talked a little bit about your background in the newspaper world. Um, but writing this book is, is, is really something different. Yeah. And I think um, it, it is different than, than newspapers and reporting. And I think that um, the lovely thing about writing creative nonfiction is that it pulls together such a, a massive amount of material where you are trying you're trying to do some things you're trying you're trying to tell the truth I mean one of the things that was really important to me with this book was to capture the reality of this work without having it sound in the least bit tabloid journalism, if that makes sense. In other words, um, much of this work, to me, um, there's there's kind of a basic biology to it. uh, And the issue of, for instance, finding bodies isn't isn't what the work is really about. And so, to me, part of the challenge of this book was to – capture my relationship with Solo, to capture my relationship with 
you know, my husband, the world around me, um, and also with the people that I learned to work with in doing this work, right? And and then, too, that part of it that there's so much that we don't know. So for sort of the science part of it, trying to go out and figure out what it is we know about the science of scent and also what the limits to our knowledge are. And in in a way, all of those things were, you know, sort of simultaneously on the table to try to write a book that read well without pandering and without being too, too sentimental about dogs because, I, you know, I mean, I adored Solo, um, but he wasn't magic, right? <laughs> um, dogs aren't magic, and we can do a lot of harm sometimes in making claims about what their capacities are when we don't actually entirely know, right? And so all of those things sort of drew me in all at once to be able to say there's joy in this work at the same time that it is also um, can be depressing and dark and filled with tension, right? Mm. And dogs can be amazing and wonderful at the same time that they're fallible creatures just like humans are, right? And that there's something deeply special about our relationship and something unique about our relationship, but that we have to also be willing to look at that relationship with a kind of hard eye and make sure that we're not allowing that relationship to create problems out in the world where innocent people can go to prison because um, we want to believe that our dog couldn't make a mistake. And so it's like <laughs> I'm, it's a big mishmash of stuff, but um, that really is the joy in, in, I think, writing nonfiction for me. And the questions and and trying to put things next to each other to, to show the relationship, too. Yeah, and you know, because it is, I mean, it's, it's, it's about nature, it's about people, it's about dogs, it's, it, you know, it's true, it's about crime and punishment. Uh, I mean, you know, you can't, um, you can't do this work without having a sense that it that it matters um, that somebody is found and that sometimes part of the reason that that matters is also that the person who did that is held accountable. I mean, you know, all those things are, are always kind of uh, part of it, you know. And then there's this, just the sheer joy of, the, of working with dogs. And the fact is, is that for Solo or for any dog that does this work, it is a it is a, a pretty big, joyous game. They don't see this in any way as being about death. They see it as they are trained to, to find a smell, and when they find that smell, they get a huge reward. It's purposeful. Yeah, it is. I mean, it is. I, you know, I mean, it's very purposeful, fun-seeking for them, and then for the people who are doing the work, it's purposeful in that you actually get to see um, dogs who are working at the height of their capabilities, right, who are sort of bringing everything that they have 
to helping to solve a problem. Um, and um, and that's fun watching, too. Well, it also sounds like it com- completely alive, this quality of being completely alive. It's true. It's true. And, I, you know, I, it, and it's, it's an odd thing to have that happen around somebody's disappearance and death. But the ultimate fact is, is that when people do die and they do disappear, and if it's a dog that can help in resolving this, although it always, as I say in the book, it always takes a huge team of people, right? And um, and it's never just a dog and a person, you know, solving the mystery, right? It right. is. It is. A, a, a vast array of skills that are brought and of people who are brought to the table to try to do this. Um, but I think that it's a, it's a, it is a really wonderful thing to witness when very well-trained dogs do this work. And do you feel when you're, um, Kat, when you're writing, do you feel like there's something that when you're, making a book like this and drafting it, um, maybe putting the pieces together, your use of images and the, um, and the research, how it's woven within, um, the narrative. Um, are those times where you're feeling like you're, you're also firing on all cylinders? Yeah, but I hate to write. (laughs) Well, writing is hard. (laughs) I shouldn't say, you know, it's, it's, it's absolutely tricky that finding, and I think you know this as, as a writer and somebody who teaches writing, is that there is a great joy in finding a way to explain something that can help other people see it and that actually can help you see it in a way that's a little bit unique or different, right, that helps capture some of those things. And so it is absolutely true that there were moments when uh, being able to pull some of these threads together, as you said, that it helped me understand things that I hadn't understood before. Kat, thank you so much for talking with me today. I've, I've so enjoyed it. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. And thank you for having this program, which oh. it just is a community asset I know and um uh and next time I'm in Aaron Arbor <laughs> will you come by let's do part I absolutely two will. okay we'll have part two <laughs> okay, okay. Um, thank you so much oh, for having me well well thank you Kat and Kat if you hold the line we'll we'll be just off air in just a moment um thanks to Kat Warren and uh for talking with me today on Living Writers her book What the Dog Knows Scent Science and the Amazing Ways Dogs Perceive the World um thank you all for listening thanks to Dash and Sylvie that might be listening at home with Ian and Tash and Chloe and Lewis and all of you out there listening. I'm T. Hetzel. Until next time. You'd be so nice to come home to. You'd be so Breathe.
on high Sang a lullaby You'd be all that I could desire I stars Chilled by the winter Under an August moon A free Mediterranean cruise? Yes, you heard right. The travel department of WCBN came up with yet another great deal. Jaffa Jive. A 60-minute musical cruise in the eastern basin of the Mediterranean every Sunday between 12 and 1 p.m. The cruise starts at the ancient port of Jaffa in Israel, and from there it sails north to Lebanon, Turkey, and Greece, and then south to Egypt, Morocco, and Algeria, and many, many other ports. In each port, we sampled the best of the local music, traditional and new, old and modern. Jaffa Jive set sail every Sunday with its captain, Ilan Rosenberg, between 12 and 1 p.m. on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. You are listening to WCBN-FM. It's time for La Explosion Banda. Siente el contacto 